Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTV buddies, I found another great podcast for you. Still listen to this one, but here's another one. Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin show is really good. Jeff is a longtime comedian and social media guru. He started that hashtag roundup on Twitter, which is really neat. Anyway, live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin show has everything. Pop culture, social media tips, interviews with great guests like Dave Landau, Bill Dyer, and Hal Sparks, comedy bits. Do I sound like Stefan from SNL here? It's a good podcast. Listen to it instead of those big name podcasts because independent podcasters try harder. You can subscribe right from Jeff's website, jeffisfunny.com. And you know what? Let me know how much you like it because I think it's a great podcast and I think you will too. Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dwoskin Show. Check it out. Today I've got a writer for nationally syndicated Bob and Tom show. He was a finalist in Trial by Laughter, and he's got a new album coming out on January 22nd, and he's also uh, got a civil engineering degree, so he's smart. I've got Joe Bates here with me. Joe, how you doing? Oh, hello. Oh, I'm doing all right, man. I can't complain. Life, life is uh, <laughs> ever-changing, but somehow not at the same time. Yeah, no doubt. It's, uh, it's, it's different. <laughs> Yeah, it's very different. But uh, it's pretty good. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm, Appreciate I, it, I'm stoked to talk to you. You were actually introduced to me by Gabe Kia, who was he, he was just on the show and is his episode hasn't come out yet. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a super nice guy. We talk hockey when we hang out. He knows way more than I uh, do. <laughs> I know you're, you're in Indy now. Are you originally from Indy? No, I'm not. I was born in West Virginia a long, long time ago. Moved like 14 times uh-huh. in my life. Started stand-up comedy in Houston, Texas. Okay. Uh, about nine years ago. Was in San Jose for a couple. Chicago for less than a year. Uh-huh. Now, Indianapolis for what seems to be forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I actually lived in Indy for a couple of years, but we talked about that. That was in the 80s, the mid-80s. And uh, Bob and Tom, they were not syndicated yet, but they were big indie. And I listen to them every morning. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I honestly, when I first moved here, I didn't expect much of the city because I never heard anything about it. You never meet really anybody from Indianapolis. And then I really fell in love with the city. It's great. Yeah. I'm going to be moving soon because my love is fleeting. <laughs> but I hopefully going to New York later this year. Okay. So, okay, cool. Nice. Yep. That's I, I know people there too, so that's neat. So when did you start doing stand up? 
about I, I guess nine and a half years ago my 10 year anniversary is going to be this summer oh cool but i was 25 when i started technically i did do stand-up when i was 18 uh-huh. at the last stop in river oaks in houston texas but uh, which is funny because you had the sound effect i played earlier <laughs> in the middle of my set somebody did make that sound effect <laughs> with the sad trombone <laughs> and i was like i don't want to do this ever uh-huh. again so it was <laughs> Seven years until I got yeah. back into it. <laughs> it's funny. Sometimes <laughs> I've talked to a lot of folks that they did. They went up really young and they were just mortified by it. They had PTSD, so they couldn't go back. They couldn't even go to a comedy club. But yeah, I was wearing shorts. I had like spiky gelled <laughs> hair. I was wearing like a short sleeve button down. I don't know who I was back then. I was a virgin. That's the yeah. one thing I know. <laughs> but everything else... <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So when you started at, when you started back at 25, was there some sort of, did did you have a goal? Did you, were you really digging comedy or did you just do another open mic just for the hell of it? My work, I was working in Houston and my work sent me to San Antonio and I was at a hotel just by myself and there's a comedy club next door that had an open mic. I was like, why not? Uh So I go in and I'm like last on the sign-up sheet, and I sit there for three to four hours. And when I had done it before, I watched Last Comic Standing. I looked like anybody could do it. I did the open mic that I bombed at, where everybody killed but me, uh-huh. which was like the last stop was like a really just a unique, perfect place at the time. But I went and did it, and I just watched everybody bomb, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, you just, you just are bad." Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you could be bad. And then when I saw you could be bad, I was like, okay, I love doing this. And then as I did it for six months, I was like, okay, what's the next step with doing this? What do you, and then I just started looking at that. And I, again, I still don't really know how to take steps or where to go, but I just keep doing it. And I really have still been enjoying being on stage at this moment. So once that goes away, yeah. then I'll, I'll go to my second job as an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny when you finally realize that open mics are just supposed to be bad, then everything's better. And then you get worried about the showcases and you find out they're supposed to be pretty bad too. And and yeah, it it really is that like, (laughs) I was so focused and everything was so important. Like it was so fun and then everything got too important. Yeah. And then it wasn't that fun anymore. And then when you figure out that's not important, then it gets fun again. It just keeps going back and forth. Yeah, yeah, no between doubt. Those two feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me who your influences were. Why? Obviously, people who want to get into comedy watch comedy, and that's how they get into it. Who were your influences? The first stand-up album I ever listened to was a button-down concert with Bob Newhart, yeah. and I still think it's like the best stand-up album ever made. Uh-huh. Like it's so so perfect. But it was a lot of old school stand-up, like Steve Martin. My dad mm-hmm. loved Jackie Vernon, so I was listening oh, to yeah. Jackie Vernon at like a young age and everything. <laughs> and when I started, everyone I'd seen, it was more like I was trying to be like an old-style stand-up. But I think if you see my act now, Steve Martin probably heavily influences the most because I have yeah. a very like absurd cockiness to uh-huh. everything that I do on stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love really the, the, the power the power thing oh the power moves yeah power moves that's great (laughs) yeah i I like character work a lot too which a lot of people don't realize is like when 
there were a lot of character work stand-ups like yeah. early on. It, a lot of people are like, oh, that's different. It's no, it's just yeah, reverting back to what it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's that th that was really cool. And uh, were you really wearing your uh, roommate suit? <laughs> no, no, I'm okay. I, I'm doing I'm doing very well for myself. <laughs> this is real life, baby. But no, yeah, it's it's just it's a funny. I like characters that have that get their comeuppance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone's all finally this this jerk finally got it. So. <laughs> That's cool. One of the things I like to ask everybody, just because I read a lot and I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff like that. Are you engaging in any reading, podcasts, magazines, music, anything that's um, really speaking to you and inspiring you? It's tough to get inspiration from other mediums for me because lately I feel like the last couple of years, it's usually something I'm frustrated over that yeah. I'm finding comedy and what I'm writing for. Usually everything else is to get my mind off of all of it. Just I play, I've been playing so much video games during COVID and everything, which has been nice and relaxing because I just did the album and it's nice to veg out afterwards. Mm. Yeah. Because um, you focus so much on that. And so I've been playing like old school, <laughs> this sounds so stupid, like old school, like Japanese style RPGs on oh. PlayStation, like PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, classic <laughs> games. I don't read unless there's a lot of pictures and superheroes. Okay. I'm not good at that. And podcasts, I, all the podcasts I listen to are either about comic books or it's like sports and gambling related. Uh, Both I'm not doing very well at. Okay. <laughs> So basically, you're a dork. You're a typical comedian. So I, I'm cool. a typical comedian under just a beautiful face. It really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to pop up your album cover real quick here. Oh, perfect. Thank you. So we got uh, that coming out the 22nd. Is there uh, any uh, pre-order for that or anything going on? Uh, that actually is gonna. The pre-sale link is gonna be up Friday. Uh, Friday. Okay. Cool. Eighth. Yeah, I was just talking. I, I did it with Ontour Records, who are super awesome to work mm -hmm. with and very nice. So, yeah, they just sent me a text uh, yeah, early yesterday that it's going to come out. The pre-selling could be the 8th. Right okay, there. cool. Mm -hmm. I'll get into the album a little bit later. Let's talk about you being an engineer and getting into comedy. I, okay. I deal with a lot of engineers because I'm in the oh. IT business. Oh. And oh, okay. these engineers are like the furthest thing from being a comedian of anybody in the world. They're engineers in general are, so, you know, what engineering takes, it takes extreme focus on what you're doing and you take that home with you. It becomes your personality and it's just that extreme focus. You can't be anything else. And then you become a comic out of that. So let's talk about you being an engineer. Obviously, that's what you went to school with and you did that. And yeah. so what, what are you still doing the engineering? A form of it. Okay. I was a civil engineer. I worked with like traffic and highway. Not I didn't really design roads, but just mm. everything about the roadways and traffic that isn't designing the roads, like speed limits, stop signs, putting like stoplights, trying to figure out the wiring, all that. That's what I mm was doing i'm a licensed professional engineer i've got a little which has done nothing for me i can stamp yeah. things and get people killed and go to jail for it but i'm not like my old manager tell you i'm not an engineer i don't have that 
focus. When I first started working in civil engineering, I would see the people who are like, okay, that guy is where I'll be in five years. That guy's where I'll be in 10 years, yeah. 20 years. And he is in a cubicle next to me. And it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, yeah. It was just a miserable feeling to feel like I'm going to be in this building the rest of my life. Luckily, four years later, I got in the stand-up and that's filled that void uh-huh. of an outlet of doing something. Because I'm not... I don't have that drive that some people do for a day job and working your way up and yeah. it all, now this it sounds very millennial on me, but it all seems pointless. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I had to, I put a report together and it was a speed limit and we sent it to the city right outside of Houston. We said, the speed limit's going to be 50 miles per hour. And they're like, are you sure? Because people are going pretty fast. Can you make it 55? And we wrote back, Yeah. We'll make it 55 miles per hour. That's fine. It's not a big deal. And then they wrote back, the uh, the board is telling me that we should make it 50 for safety reasons. So can we do? Can we go back to 50? And we're like, sure. <laughs> and I was like, it doesn't matter. Like I had to go out there for eight hours a day with a speed gun and take tallies of every speed and then take the 85th percentile yeah. of all this stuff. And uh-huh. uh, I slept through most of it and just made it up. So yeah. <laughs> it really is whatever you, they want it to be. I don't really care. But now I do more like Microsoft. I do, I'm a cost engineer now. So I'm okay. just basically doing finances and budgets for uh, different companies, which is, I like it. I like that a lot more because at least mm-hmm. money makes sense, more sense to me than yeah. speed limits. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to your start when you did that open mic. So obviously something must have clicked for you there and you went on to keep on doing it. What was it what was it like getting from that open mic to like your first paying gig? What took you there? That's just laziness to not quit. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean honestly like it was like I had nothing else to do, so I'll just keep doing this cuz I didn't I just started drinking at 25. I didn't really drink until then. And uh, this girl broke up with me. So I had no other outlet and everything. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'll just focus on this. But man, it's tough. Because we, me and my buddy, Kevin Farron, and we had a friend, Dusty Rhodes, who helped us out. But we put together a showcase, like an, in, an independent show, which wasn't being done at the time in Houston. Mm. And we were just like, no one's booking us, so we'll just do our own thing. We sold out the venue, like 200-something people there of all our friends and family. We all had very good sets. We all thought that's the way comedy was going to be for the rest of our lives, not understanding like the friends and family (laughs) factor and how that influences it. And it wasn't probably, like, I didn't work at a club, mainly because I moved like a year in to San Jose. Uh I was in the Bay Area for two years, got nothing there. It was a bad time personally for me moved out to chicago then indianapolis and i got my first paying gig at wiley's comedy club in dayton ohio oh. as a host like four years in the stand-up i was uh-huh. miss pat <laughs> yeah okay yeah, yeah i remember miss pat yeah. yeah yeah she she <laughs> is super funny she acted <laughs> she was telling all the dayton comics and i feel like I'm, I'm a good host i feel like i can do a good host and i feel like i was a good host early on because i had been doing stand-up for a certain amount of time uh-huh. before I actually got to an MC work. So right. I had at least like, I was aware of what was going on. She told the Dayton comics like, this host, this is what you have to watch. This is a good host. He's confident and that's all you need to be. 
And I said, what about, I go, what about my jokes? She said, I don't give a fuck about your jokes. <laughs> I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. There's but, something uh, to be said for being able just to stand up there and, yeah. and be looked at. Yeah. <laughs> but that whole span of four years, my life really was in California. I got laid off from my job. I, I got a, like a DUI. Like I just had a lot of things go wrong and I was mm -hmm. very depressed. But I still didn't want to stop doing stand-up even during all that stuff. So mm. I just kept at it. I know that I like being on stage. I know that I, it's tough because you see other open makers who are open makers their whole lives. Like, I know I'm funny. It's always a thing you have to say that. But I'm like, I'm aware that something I'm doing is right. I just uh -huh. don't know the delivery of it yet. Right. So I kept changing constantly, kept writing and kept adjusting until... Honestly, it was the power move bit that ended up leading me to get more club work and being seen. Oh, yeah. I can see so. that. Yeah, that's great. So let's jump up to getting the Bob and Tom job. How did you get that writing job? I'm good friends with Tom's son, uh, Sam. Sam. Okay. Not, yeah, not the other one. And now Willie gets to be on air all the time. They love him. So Sam was a good friend of mine and he they let me in to start writing for their stories just they give you headlines and it's writing jokes so i was just doing that pro bono to see hey here's what i can provide do you guys like this and tom and then we're going okay this guy's got good stuff and uh -huh. they hired me on and it's been i got again it's you get your connections the way you, you get your connections and everything and you play off of that mm -hmm. so I, there wasn't like a hey i have a, a really formal procedure as much as it was like Work for free for a little bit. We'll see if we like it. If not, we'll move on. Kind of mm. But luckily, it worked out pretty well. So you're the third writer for Bob and Tom I've talked to. And the last one was Dwight Simmons. And yeah, he just got hired on like last year. Yeah. And uh, so I asked him a question. How do you feel when you hear one of your bits on air? So I'll ask you that question. I'll tell you how he answered. I think he's going to answer the, the same way, the same way I am going to answer it is, uh, I don't listen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> it's too early in the morning. I can't. <laughs> what am I going to do? That's, a, that's, that's funny because Dwight said the same thing. He says he does, he carves out his mornings for no humor, no comedy, and he does other stuff. And yeah, he's carved out his whole days and nights too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just making fun of him because he beat me in the fantasy football championship for the second year in a row, and I'm just getting I'm still pissed about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that, that, that's funny, and it's I I don't listen to the show anymore either. My wife still does when she can, but in the '80s, I lived by that show, and they were they were nuts. It was basically yeah. just Bob and Tom at that point. Christy Lee wasn't there and none of the whole crew was there. It was Bob and Tom and they had Bob Zaney was on all the time and stuff like that. But it was, it was just them and they did just all kinds of crazy stuff, actually a little bit more over the line than what they do now because yeah. they could get away with it. But yeah, it was, it was neat. And it really influenced me on doing comedy myself. And, but yeah, it's it's funny when I talk to the writers. They're like, "Yeah, we write the stuff. We don't listen. It's okay." <laughs> but the, I will say this: I'm. It's amazing how long they've been around, and yeah. the fact that Bob's gone and Josh Arnold replaced them. 
I feel like Josh has been a perfect fit for that show, and it's still doing pretty well. Yeah, and I remember I was talking to Sam, and he was telling me that they were second in in the nation in ratings next to Howard Stern. Yeah, that's crazy. That's such a big show, and some yeah. people in the big cities have never even heard of it. And you're like, this show is huge. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I used to listen to Opie and Anthony when they yeah. were going, and they used to diss Bob and Tom all the time, but they were always behind them in the ratings too. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like me making fun of Dwight here. I'm behind him in the fantasy football championships. They're behind yeah. the ratings. I get it. <laughs> Did you ever um, listen to the Phil Henry show? Yeah, I've listened to that. Yeah, not a lot of people know that show, and that's I think that is the best radio show ever put together. I just wonder if, obviously, he's in character the whole time. And if you're in character for that long, because that show's three hours long, isn't it? Yeah, no, he's a bit of a maniac. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's not yeah. all put up. Yeah, I've listened to it. It's nutty. <laughs> yeah, it's so, I for people who don't know, it's a, a show, basically, Phil, it's the Phil Henry show. And he interviews a guest, and the guest is usually like outrageous and is saying some crazy thing. One instance is a guy was a pilot, and he flies in front of the planes, and he puts his hand out the window to let them know when it's good to land. Yeah. And he starts talking about that. And people will call in and say, I am a pilot. That's never how anybody does that. What are you talking uh -huh. about? And then they would have a huge argument on the radio, and Phil Henry would try to mediate it. But uh -huh. Phil Henry is the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> like he's... <laughs> Yeah, he's both people. It's yeah. uh, so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've listened, but I, I always thought it was pretty funny. So let's talk about putting the album together. Obviously, you must have recorded uh, before lockdown happened. Yeah, I recorded about it'll be about a year, a year exactly a year before the release. Okay, and so when did January twenty fifth? So when did you record, or where did you record it? Houston, Texas, where I started, because I oh, okay, had a, cool. a large yeah. group of friends and family there, so it's nice to go back and record there at the Secret Group, which mm -hmm. was a newer comedy club that got put up. It does a lot of one-nighters, and it's really just a hip, cool, independent venue. So it's nice to see. I started it. My buddy started an independent show so long ago. This is like the independent venue now from years later. With Stephen Brandau, Andrew Youngblood, that's their venue they put together and uh, recording there. And I think it's the first album to release that was recorded the Super Group. Oh, and cool. yeah, I did two shows, both sold out and had a great time. It was really, you put a lot of like fear and anxiety before you do any big project. You only get to do so many things in your life. And then it just was, ended up being a, a perfect day. So perfect what? Night. What leads you to do doing the album? So you're you've been working for at that point you'd been working for almost nine years because you're at almost ten years now, and mm -hmm. you you've been working and doing the club scene and doing all that. What leads you to want to make an album first of all? About seven years in, I wrote like a Facebook post about how I knew a few people that have been doing it for seven years and they have two albums. Mm -hmm. And I and it was just more like me going, I don't understand. I feel like I'm not even close to doing that. I want to do it, but nothing's mm -hmm. going to be perfect. And I don't know if I'll ever be 
able to say it's perfect. Do I wait till somebody asks me to do it? Do I do it? Just all my thoughts and questions. And I had a few people that are really close. They reached out like, if you're going to do it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's none of it really matters. So if you want to do it, then you have this cool little thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I started focusing on that. I got in the Limestone Comedy Festival where I met Ross Dunkley on tour. And he knew from Matt Holt that I wanted to make an album. He saw me he saw my set and he goes yeah let's do one i think you'd be Mm. great and working from there i ended up booking the venue and getting the sound guy and everything and it turned out perfect i think for me it it turned out as flawed i have a few flaws uh but like i feel like this (laughs) after finishing the editing and listening it's okay this is this is who i am it's a weird it's a weird album but it's what i want hey btv buddies we're sponsored by podcorn if you've ever listened to a big-name podcast, they have a lot of sponsors. The reason why brands choose to advertise on podcasts is that podcast advertising is up to three times more effective than TV, print, or radio advertising. If you're a brand and you checked out advertising on those big-name podcasts, you found out that the cost may be way outside your budget. And if you're a podcast that would like to get some of that ad revenue, you found out that unless you have at least 10,000 listens per episode, advertisers won't even talk to you. Podcorn came about as a solution for advertisers with any budget from a hundred bucks to a million bucks and podcasters with listeners in the hundreds or in the millions. Here's how it works. If you're an advertiser, go to podcorn.com and sign up as an advertiser. You enter in pertinent information about your brand and the message you want podcasts to communicate for you. You can then choose what type of advertising you'd like. You can get a host-read ad, an interview, a topical discussion, or all of the above. Then you can make your sponsorship live and wait for podcasters to give you their pitch. You decide who you want to work with. If you have a podcast, go to podcorn.com and register as a podcast. You'll create a profile with info about your podcast and the people who listen. Then you can start browsing sponsorship opportunities right away. As an advertiser or podcast, you communicate directly about the ad. There is no middle person. This is so easy you wouldn't believe it until you go to Podcorn and sign up. Guess where I got this sponsorship? Podcorn. I'm being paid to read this ad right now, and I'm just a little independent podcast. Check out the show notes for a direct link to Podcorn and sign up today. I know I'm glad I did. Hey, BTB buddies. I'm always on the hunt for cool independent podcasts to share with you. I found one in the Pop Culture Show. The Pop Culture Show is your hosts, Barnes, Leslie, and Cubby. They take a deep dive into the pop culture of now. The Pop Culture Show team talks about the news of the week, celebrity gossip, TV shows, music, and whatever else is going on in the world. They also get to interview some pretty big names like Jewel, Dr. Oz, and Lisa Loeb. I have to say, I like their unique take on all the topics they take on from behind the scenes on Family Feud to cat translation apps. If you want to break from the hard news and want to laugh and learn a little, the Pop Culture Podcast is a good one to check out. Now, if you're listening to me, you know how easy it is to listen to the Pop Culture Podcast. Just type it in on any podcast app and click subscribe. Check out their social media for extra content and watch episodes on YouTube. Head over to thepopcultureshow.com or just click the link in the show notes to find out more about this great show. It's a good one. And do you, obviously, this is a culmination of your best stuff for seven plus years. Do you feel like that stuff has to go away now that this album's coming out? I it's like I'm nervous about 
that idea that you're burning material mm. but at the end of the day it shouldn't the material isn't what makes you you should be writing new material you should be focusing on the next step and getting and that and that is something that's always i feel like when i first started i was writing new stuff all the time because i wanted to get somewhere and if this wasn't working then i gotta do this mm. but now i have stuff that's working and now it's still got to keep pushing forward. Otherwise mm. I'll just plateau. And that's not what I really ever want to do. So the answer, like long story short, if I'm doing a rural town, I'll do the jokes on the album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but outside that, I'm starting as focusing on keep writing what the next hour is going to be or the next 30 minutes. Right. Because they ain't so heard it yet. They, they have not heard me talk out of my mouth yeah <laughs> so let's talk about your style and how you got there i watched enough video online to know that you you walk a weird line because you'll do the absurdist stuff and a little bit non sequitur character and then you'll get into a little bit of real life and then you'll um go back and tie it all together how did you get there? I, did, did you start there and just refine it? Or did you start somewhere else, like with one-liners, and then this just came to you? So I started with one-liners a lot. And that was mainly what I was just doing. It was one-liners, and I would bring up liner notes was my whole thing. Because I had to bring up notes because I kept forgetting what I was going to say. Uh -huh. So I brought up my notes, and I realized you weren't supposed to do that. And so I was like, oh, you got to make a joke about the notes. Yeah. So I would do, I'd go, hey, everybody got liner notes on stage. This is a help me out. And then I would do a one liner and, and I go, it's, you won't even notice I'm looking at them. And then I would point at the paper and go, okay, wait for applause. And then just stare at the crowd and then do a one liner and then go, everybody loves improv and do some stupid little bit with that. But uh, I was like, okay, I like that. I like the weird joke the most uh, of what I'm doing. Yeah. And then it just, and then for a while I was like, I tried to be the comic I thought people wanted to see. I was mm -hmm. like, this is a comic that will book people. People will book because I'm just doing, here's my five minutes on relationships. And it's, I hated doing it. Yeah. I got a little bit of stuff, but nothing really of any substance. And then I was like, Joe, you are a spaz, like a maniac. So why don't you just start being a maniac? Uh -huh. <laughs> Cause I don't write like, I don't write like segues or any of that stuff. So I just start talking fast and I, the key I found in the last three or four years is physical movement determines how I can be a standup. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't want to say I'm a physical, like at all, I rely on just physicality for a lot of everything, but if I'm moving a weird way, then I can just change subjects and people accept it because he's moving weird. He must be weird. Yeah. So yeah. they allow that whole thing to change and I can leave a joke and go back in it. And because of my physicality and how I'm carrying myself, no one, no one's very surprised at it. Yeah. Whereas I, I don't think, I think it allows me to be versatile and diverse with the jokes that I tell because I'm in the semblance of somebody who doesn't really have it together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I really get that. And the physicality part, when you do the power move thing, and this, you may have only done it that one time, but when you do that, turning away from the audience, you turn your back to the audience and you're lifting the microphone cord up and then you just 
leisurely come around like you just don't care that that they're there and you do that it really punctuates the joke and the first time i watched it i'm like why is he doing that this looks like a open mic guy that doesn't know how to grab the mic and then i watched it again and i'm like oh this is all part of it so is that <laughs> yeah oh i think i froze or you froze are you there Hello. All okay. right, we're back. Gotcha. Sorry about that. I think that might have been me. Thank God. <laughs> I feel like my internet just blipped on me. Well, that'll happen. But yeah, so is that little turn, is that thing, is that part of it or did that just happen? So a lot of physicality stuff I'll do it it's rehearsed to seem like it's not rehearsed uh -huh. but it's only being on stage where i can actually rehearse it but yeah like the character everyone is lucky to see the power move guy mm -hmm. they're lucky not me yeah yeah And so if i just do whatever i want on stage especially like not even look at the audience and they then they have to they start questioning who this guy is mm -hmm. And it makes them pay attention more. I did an open mic in California once and the crowd was just horrible. Mm -hmm. It was so bad. And I liked this open mic because there were like two techniques I used to get everyone to pay attention. And one was I just didn't look in the audience. Uh -huh. I just stared. I didn't look at them and did my stand up like they weren't there and uh -huh. people would start to quiet down. And the other one, which I don't know how to evolve into my actual set, is I opened my set by just weeping for a minute. <laughs> just openly weeping into the microphone and the crowd all sh no one none of the comments get the crowd to shut up and the crowd shut up because uh -huh. there was just a man openly weeping into the microphone and then when they shut up i go does anyone here smoke weed <laughs> and this guy this guy goes yeah they go arrest that man then they just stopped paying attention and they went back to talking but for a moment for a moment i was able to capture their attention i feel yeah. like that I had a buddy tell me, look, something that's going to help you on stand-up. I didn't realize that at the time, was he's go up and do your set and don't try to be funny. Just try to get the audience to pay attention to you the whole time uh -huh. and figure out why that's happening. And I yeah. was like, oh, okay. And I started seeing what's going on and everything. I was like, that makes a lot of sense because then yeah. you can be funny. And if they're paying attention, it'd be even more funny. And all that. Yeah. You know, I've heard that. I've heard comics that say and i'd like to try this sometime that when they're bombing and they know that they're just going to continue to bomb they totally lean into it and whatever materials bombing they just go oh they go into it hard and but they overdo it so that hey if you're not going to laugh at least you're going to remember me and that's that's a pretty good philosophy to have i think yeah, the only issue is if you're bombing and you already have been exaggerating, then you don't know where to go. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. already went there. So, <laughs> you, I, so I'll just say goodnight, everybody. And then yeah. <laughs> so talking about the logistics of putting an album together, you obviously you got to record it and you've got two nights worth and you have to decide which night is the best on each joke and stuff like that. What kind of time commitment is that for you to make those decisions and get it all put together so you're asking how do i structure the hour-long set together 
Yeah. What, yeah. What did you have to do to get that so that you could say, okay, I got an album here. So <laughs> this is where the engineering comes in. So I put an Excel sheet together and then uh -huh. I have all my recordings and I put, okay, here, are the, here, are, let me put all my jokes down and let me put how long each joke is next to it. Mm. And then I'm going to put these bits together uh, and see, okay, Hey, this goes with this, all this stuff. Like I do mm. 10 to 15 minutes on like driving jokes that are actually were four or five separate jokes that I was like, Oh, these all kind of tie together. Why have I not been doing that in the first place? You know, uh -huh. so having it down on like paper that I can see helps me build those bits together even before the album. And then with the album, okay, this, these jokes would make more sense before here because these jokes are going to hit harder and those jokes would do worse if they're following those jokes. Mm -hmm. you're, just, you're still, it's a weird thing because even when you're doing a longer set, you also want to have a little bit of a lull. Yeah. Unless you're just going to, boom, 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 boom. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. Some of my jokes have longer setups than I would, than I'd rather have, but mm. it's mainly, okay, I know I'm ending here. This is usually a pretty good start to establish what I'm doing. And then let's see how we go in the middle here. And then I, I was able to build like, okay, this is 20 minutes. This is 20 to 25 minutes. And now that I have these two giant chunks, how do I make everything else work mm. around that? When it's funny when you talk about a lull and, uh, not going so fast. I'm first off, even when I was younger, I'm ADD and I can't pay attention to stuff if somebody's going too fast. So yeah. when a comic is just blasting me, I, I laugh, but I'm missing probably two thirds of what they say because I'm just concentrating on the laughter on the first joke. And I really like it when there's a little bit of time to catch up and actually listen. So you basically, for you, you listening to stand-up is like on a square television watching widescreen. Yeah, it's easier because I can pause it and rewind, watch a lot of live stuff too, but it's, yeah, but, when, yeah. when they, when they machine gun those jokes, I miss a lot and I'm deaf too. So um, not stone deaf, but I wear hearing aids and I miss a lot of stuff that's just on frequencies too. Mm -hmm. So it, that makes it double hard. But yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I gravitate towards like comedians who don't do the rapid fire one-liners. I've been watching a lot of English comedy from across the pond and a lot of them yeah. still do the rapid fire one-liners. And then I watch Jim Jeffries and he's totally different. He's more of a storyteller and goes a little bit slower. And I, the I check out on the ones that do the rapid fire. I just can't do it. And I, I would check out, I would check out Stuart Lee. If that's what you like over there, he's from the UK. He's probably one of the most brilliant comics out there. Like I like Norm Macdonald and Stuart Lee are on like the same level oh, okay. of like, not the same style, but just same level. Like this is such a smart person doing jokes. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about you, you performed in a lot of different areas and obviously you saw other comics when you're coming up and stuff like that. Did you get any mentors Did anybody just say, Hey, Joe, I, I want to help you out. Or did you just do it all on your own? I feel like I was on my own for a long time. Uh -huh. I had a, a really good friend when I first, I had a few, a couple of really good friends. The one I started the show with a guy we kept in touch for a long time where you just okay we're all starting together we're in the same 
thing. We have the same style of comedy. Let's work together. I moved to the Bay Area and not to say I got into the wrong crowd, but I just got in with the wrong group of comics in the sense of, oh, they'll come to us. We don't have to go to them. Uh-huh. And then that really did not help me because I wasn't pushing that hard. Cause I was like, okay, that's what my friends are doing. That's what I'll do as well. And I didn't realize why, because they didn't have the same kind of drive of what they wanted to do with it. As yeah. me. And I just let myself get in the head in my own head. Chicago was a little bit, I wasn't there long enough to really do anything. But when I got here, it really was like, I had Brent Terhune who was working the open mic at Crackers was like, Hey, I can, cause I was going there for a year and a half doing kind of the same bits, but doing very well. Like, look, you've been doing very well. Let's, let's figure out how to get you work and everything. Uh-huh. So he helped that a lot, which then led to my first weekend at Crackers. Uh, and I worked with Matt Holt, who was featuring and okay. a headliner who was horrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Matt Holt and me ended up, he ended up really getting me a lot of gigs in the Midwest. And he, without him, I, I there's a lot of shows I wouldn't have been able to do. And uh, without him, I don't think I would have gotten the album with Onto Records and everything. Mm. So on a, in a way, don't ever tell him I said this, but I, Matt Holt is the closest thing I've had uh, to a mentor. Oh, great. But mainly, I was just there to make him look good. Yeah. Uh, he told me to bomb every show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it wasn't until then where I was like, he was the guy reached out the funny business and just these little things that I didn't know because I mm-hmm. there's not like a guide there's not like a I, I don't know my day job you have a, a website you go to like here are the open positions and yeah here's what you need to do and this is what we're looking for and everything but out, outside that I'm like I'm just flying by the seat of my pants guessing the whole time yeah and comics in general in most areas don't really it's such a competitive thing that they don't really tell you and they, it's okay that you fall on your face. But Indianapolis, everything I've heard about Indy, because Brent was on uh, the show too, is a pretty, it's a pretty good crowd and everybody's pretty supportive of each other, which is not the case everywhere. No, yeah, it is. I've been in three scenes, quasi a fourth scene, and it just really is different. Each, mm. scene, each scene is different. I think Houston was a really great scene for me to get involved in. It's probably one of the most more clickish scenes. It's done mm. a lot better now, but at the time it was very like, here are these three or four groups and you're out, you're in one of them yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Which was fine, but it wasn't, mm. I don't want to be friends with everybody because I'm desperate for attention. So, in uh, <laughs> the Bay area was very separated geographically. You're like, you're in Oakland, you're in the Oakland group, you're the San Francisco group, you're the yeah. Southern San, South San Francisco, San Jose, all, all Santa Cruz and all that stuff. And then Indianapolis, it's just a smaller scene. Mm. So we all have to get along with each other. Yeah. And we still have like our assholes, like every oh, yeah. place, but we're slowly figuring it out. I wish, and it, I just as long as I've been in one scene, almost five years now, and it's been fluctuating between hey, we've got all this cool stuff. Oh, man, we don't really have anything. Hey, a lot of cool independent shows. We don't really have anything. Hey, we've got four and a half clubs right now. This is cool. And now we've got two. Or I guess we got three. Gutties is down south. So, which is nice. Yeah, cool. So thinking about 
the advice you've got, I like to ask this to everybody. What would you say is the best and worst piece of advice that you got during your career? The best advice I've ever heard, and some people don't like this, but I, I always appreciate it because I think it allows you to be weird, but weird, but not horrible, <laughs> is what you think is funny, but keep what the audience tells you is funny. Okay. So you're always writing for yourself, but you're not, you know, you're trying to make it funny at yeah. the end of the day. Like yeah. you, you don't want to have that personality where like, well, it's the audience that doesn't get it. So I'm going to do this the same way 50 more times until they figure it out instead uh, of like, why is this, what can I do to 